Therapy Chat Podcast, episode 205. This is the Therapy Chat Podcast with Laura Reagan, LCSWC. The information shared in this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health professional. And now, here's your host, Laura Reagan, LCSWC. Try Therapy Notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today. With live telephone support seven days a week, it's clear why Therapy Notes is rated 4.9 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot and has a 5-star rating on Google. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. And now for all you prescribers out there, Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. Try it today with no strings attached and see why everyone is switching to Therapy Notes, now featuring ePrescribe. You can get two months free by using promo code CHAT at therapynotes.com. Trauma Therapist Network is a website to learn about trauma and how it shows up in our lives and to find a trauma therapist. Go to traumatherapistnetwork.com to find a trauma therapist near you today. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Hi, welcome back to Therapy Chat. Today's episode is a little bit different because I have three guests. My guests today are Joseph Lee, Lisa Marciano, and Deborah Stewart, who are three Jungian analysts and hosts of this Jungian Life podcast. We had a very interesting conversation in which they taught me more about what Jungian analysis is and how it's perspective plays out in therapy. I thought it was a really interesting conversation and I hope you'll enjoy listening as well. Therapy Chat Podcast wouldn't exist without the support of its listeners. If you'd like to become a member, please go to patreon.com slash therapy chat. By making a $1 per month donation, you can help Therapy Chat keep going over the long haul. Thank you for your support. Hi, welcome back to Therapy Chat. Today I am doing something very new for me, interviewing three guests at once. My guests today are Lisa Marciano, Joe Lee, and Deb Stewart from This Jungian Life podcast. Lisa, Deb, and Joe, welcome. Thank you. Thanks. I'm so glad that we're doing this. And listeners may remember that you all generously sponsored the podcast a few months back. That is, you sponsored Therapy Chat, and you have your own wonderful podcast that they heard about then, and I'm sure once they hear from you today, our audience is going to be even more interested in what you're doing. So let's just start off, if we can, by each of you, if you could tell our audience a little bit about yourselves and your work. 
Sure. I'm Lisa Marciano, and I'm a licensed clinical social worker and certified Jungian analyst, and I have a private practice in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Welcome. I'm sorry I pronounced your name wrong, Lisa. Uh, no, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yep. I'm Joseph Lee, and I have a private practice as a Jungian analyst in Virginia Beach, Virginia. Uh, I'm also the president of the Philadelphia Young Institute, where we train analysts, and we also provide a seminar for people who may be interested. And then, of course, we all co-create the podcast together, which really has been a great joy for us. Yeah. And I'm Deb or Deborah Stewart. I am now living on Cape Cod. And I too started out as a social worker and then went on to do some gestalt training. And it was only after I could embrace Jungian training that I really felt complete in some way as a therapist. That's so poignant to me, especially because that's really how I'm feeling about what little I know of Jungian work is that it's just like, it's a piece that I need. It feels like it's something that I want and I'm craving, but I don't even know where to start. So I can't wait to really ask you all about that. It seems like Jungian work is woven into art therapy, sand tray, and just talk therapy so intricately. And um, where has this been all my life? So I really want to, I, I can't wait to ask you about it. But can one of you maybe start off giving us a little bit more information about really what Jungian analysis is? That's perhaps an easier question to ask than it is to answer, but I think the, the heart of it is establishing a real dialogue between ego or consciousness, uh, one sense of I, and the rest of psyche and the unconscious, so that there's a, a two-way conversation going on with what I often think of as the rest of you. Yeah, that's, that's a great that's a great place to start. I mean, I think one of the ways into this question possibly is kind of our own personal stories about how we came upon Jung because, you know, in general, Jung isn't really taught much in most graduate programs. Mm -hmm. I know for me, I stumbled upon a book by a Jungian analyst when I was in a dark time in my life. I was in my late 20s and things weren't really just not going well for me in my life. And I just kind of this book just pretty much leaped off the shelf at me and I didn't know what it was and I didn't know what I was getting into, but I just, I took it home and I started reading and it just, it really shifted things almost right away because my suffering started to have meaning. Mm. And I think that one characteristic of a Jungian analysis is that it really concerns itself with meaning. Jung felt that it was an, an important need that we all have to be connected with a sense of meaning. When I think about the sense of meaning, I'm also reminded of logotherapy and man's search for meaning. And, and part of the survival of great tragedies, uh, let's say the concentration camps, that one of the ways that we survive even massive tragedies is to discover what it means or meant inside of us and to once again reach out and take control of the factors that we can in the face of a great uncertain world and in the face of all the tumult of feelings that we have inside of us. 
What I was struck by, Laura, when you were introducing us is the idea of the calling, that even as you were considering Jung and, and noticing something, that there is this calling that springs up for some of us, and I think for all of us that have chosen to go into the arduous process of training. And so it begs the question inside of myself is, where does the calling come from and how do we discern it? And, and where do we get the energy to answer the call? And one thing for myself, I was a senior in my undergraduate degree and decided to take a theories of personality class and just came across Freud and Jung for the first time and very exuberantly and naively read Jung and thought, oh, this guy's really into everything that I like. And, uh, uh, and it just kind of captured me at 21 years old. And I kept orbiting around it because it seemed like a, a too enormous a project for me to think of becoming an analyst. But this recognition of depth, this acknowledgement of the unconscious, and this promise that there is an overarching pattern to who I am and what I'm experiencing seemed thrilling and incredibly comforting. And it was later in my life I decided to go back and become an analyst. Yeah. I think we get into it before we know what we're getting into. It's almost sometimes I facetiously compare it to uh, wanting to have a baby. And it seems like such a great idea. Uh, <laughs> and we really don't know what we're getting into, but we would never, ever change it. But there's an intuition and a sense that, this, that something about this feels right. Something in us deeply recognizes a thing that we don't yet consciously understand because, of course, it has so much to do with psyche and the unconscious. So, of, of course, it's not all parsed out in nice, uh, neat little boxes for the ego to, to organize. But we come across something. Lisa came across a book. Joseph came across that, that class. I came across a Jungian seminar with a man who taught for the day using a film. And it was mysterious and alluring. And it did call me, to use Joseph's phrase. And I rented the film again and played it at home. And I still didn't understand it. But I knew that I had to try and that started me off on a path that I really didn't intend to take, but I wouldn't have missed it for the world. <laughs> I, wow. I, think, I think that I want to just pick up on one thing that, that Joseph alluded to, which is the sense that there is this, this pattern. And one of the ideas that Jung had is that, that we are guided by an inner guide that he called the self with a capital S, and it's the sense of being related to something larger mm -hmm. and that there is a kind of inner wisdom that we're tapping into. So for me, Laura, one of the big differences between Jungian work and other psychological work is the emphasis on health and a growth toward wholeness rather than pathology. Mm. When I... I'm listening to you, Lisa. I'm thinking about this metaphor of the acorn, uh, which, again, I think is uh, unique to Jung's work in terms of the psychological field, is that each of us is born with a guiding pattern in the same way that an acorn has encoded within it a full-grown oak tree. 
even though it's in potential and may be impossible to discern immediately, so that each of us carries a totally unique acorn inside of us that is growing and trying to reach its fullness. And that part of analysis is to get glimpses of that mm. and also to discern in what ways that might be being blocked or intruded upon. And how can we bring consciousness to that that blocking problem and clear the way so that the true nature of a person can emerge? I mean, everything y'all have said so far is like absolutely fascinating to me. And so rich with meaning deeper than the words. So mm -hmm. I'm taking it in. I have so many questions. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, one of the um, sentences that I especially like is that Jung must be experienced to be understood. So in a way, it's, we're talking about it, but we're kind of circumambulating it, going around and around it, because it can't just be expressed in logical, conscious prose, which is one of the reasons Jungian analysis works so intensively with dreams, that there is the psyche, it appears every night for every single one of us, even if we don't remember our dreams, we do have them. And uh, establishing that connection with self, uh, with psyche, with these images, translating them into words, writing it down, uh, taking it into your analytic session it is in itself, I think, unique way of uh, helping our own inner acorn grow some more branches and get a little bigger and, and put the roots down deeper, too. Our use of dreams in a clinical setting is really intrinsic to Jungian work. I'm so glad that Deb brought that up. And one of the ways of imagining the use of the dream is that the self is this larger abiding mm. image of our potential that actually is, is awake and full of energy, and that the ego or the visible personality is a kind of rhizome, is a kind of potential that is being pressured from above to embody these various potentials. And one of the expressions of the self is in its observation of the ego life, the waking life, it produces a dream to mirror back to the waking life how it is functioning and what it is up against, what is emerging, and what the potentials are in an effort to gently lead the waking life on a path. It's so <laughs> like when we were, before we actually started recording, we were talking about kind of feeling and sensing. It's so internal. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's like I'm hearing you talking and I, I hear your words and I understand them. And I'm like, whoa. Like, I mean, I'm thinking I like the unconscious comes into the therapy work, whether or not we are trained in Jungian analysis. It comes and do we recognize it? And ours is there and the clients is there. But it's also such a mystery. I mean, and when you talk about the ego, I'm like, as a clinical social worker, I didn't, I wasn't a psych major. I was a sociology major. And so 
I always, of course, you learn the id, ego, and super ego, but I barely really understand what it means. So then I'm thinking, do I have to really get, really deeply get what they mean by ego to understand (laughs) this? So there's so many like things about it that just seem so complex. I think you're right there. And also, thank you for bringing that up, that there's a way in which we can toss out specialized language really casually because mm-hmm. we just think that way and we talk to each other all the time. So we toss out a word like ego and then we nod, you know, as if we all yeah. understand yeah. it. So it's really important for us to to try to explain terms. So one way of thinking about the ego, it's that what you know about yourself in a given moment and that you easily have access to, which involves the ability to note the passage of time, the ability to have some congruent sense of who you are day to day, the ability to channel your energy and make a decision and pursue it. And the ego is holding this tension between who you know yourself to be and those unconscious pressures that are coming forward at any given moment. And so a practical example might be, you know, you're there interviewing for a job and your waking mind is trying to be you know, clever and appealing and informed. (laughs) And then all of a sudden you have this incredible sense of agitation that seems to come out of nowhere because in fact, the person interviewing you looks uncannily like your mother. (laughs) (laughs) And so all of a sudden this thing is intruding into the room and you're sweating and don't know what's going on because the unconscious is well aware of this incredible similarity to your mom. And if you've had let's say, really conflictual (laughs) feelings about your mom, all of a sudden there are ghosts in the room that are really affecting you. And the ego has to negotiate with all of that and try to achieve its aims. You know, I'm wanting to see if I can maybe ground this a little bit in sort of an everyday example. And I'm I'm just thinking that this week, in fact, one of the people I work with is just saying, well, this this work is so different from other work I've done. And it it just, and you know, I'm sort of thinking, well, (laughs) I wonder how come, but we talked about it a little bit. and, And here's what I think we sort of landed on. I think a Jungian orientation really encourages us to take ourselves seriously mm. and especially aspects of ourselves that we may have have been encouraged to disregard so you know annoying annoying habits that we have or little places in our personality that are recalcitrant or bad moods or dreams or silly little habits that we have you know the attitude in the consulting room is going to be, and let's be curious about that. Let's just wonder about that and let's take it seriously. So it's really an invitation to take your inner life seriously. And again, to be curious about it, to be compassionate and to wonder what is trying to come into the world through you. Yes. And so there's really an implicit emphasis and interest on where are you going rather than what's wrong. Uh, Not that that's not important because people come in feeling down or feeling conflicted or having a very real and substantial life issue. And we are interested in all of the things Lisa just mentioned. But 
your psyche and your own inner self is trying to go somewhere. So some of those things, your dreams or some uh, memory that just arose or feelings and likes and dislikes, we welcome because that's part of you, whoever the you is, that is, is trying to become its own unique self. And it's not a linear process. You know, sometimes people will come in with a very discreet problem like, you know, I'm, I need to change careers and I don't know, this, this doesn't work for me anymore, but I don't know where I'm going. I don't know, I don't have a goal. And we're so tempted often to sort of, you know, take a career assessment test and line up all the ducks and make an intelligent decision and research some more training programs. But that's not the approach of Jungian analysis. Uh, our approach looks like it's, you know, a little less, less linear, sometimes even less organized, and that the direction and the growth will emerge because psyche is going somewhere. You, you have a pattern. You have a path. And that returns, as we were saying, to this exploratory attitude. And rooted in this exploratory attitude is that nothing is as it seems initially. <laughs> that the ego or the waking mind is, is thinking, oh, this is all it means, or this is all I want, or this is all that's happening. And the Jungian approach is to say, yes, that's true. And as we sink down into a world of internal images, memories, feelings, and fantasies, that there's a whole other cache of information that, if included in the waking mind, both enriches what's happening, but also might correct the course a little bit. Can you say more about that part, correcting the course? Sure. So, for instance, somebody, I'm thinking of a story of a friend of mine as an example, that she had been a nun for about 40 years and was this wonderful, sassy little five foot, 80 pound woman. And, um, and we had been talking for some time and she was describing her experience of being in a Jungian analysis. And as the result of self-reflection and a dream, she had had a shocking revelation that what had compelled her to go into the, the convent was a search for God as a substitute for her biological father. Mm. And even though now we might say, oh, well, that's a clever realization. But for her to realize that in her bones, like to realize that thrumming through her feelings, that there were enormous shifts of feeling and attitude that she had, that in a certain sense, she wished she had known that 40 years ago, mm. that she had to accept her life as it was, even though her motives were not what she had thought of, and that it shifted her nature about her religious work and her sense of self. And it also set in motion an entirely new search for what God and the divine meant, because it had been so limited by this search for a parent, mm -hmm. which really actually um, kind of boxed off a much richer exploration. So the the reverberations of that insight were 
both cataclysmic in one moment and incredibly exciting once the surprise of that had worn mm-hmm. off. That, that's a great example. And I think we're talking about the kind of relationship always between the conscious personality and the unconscious. And sometimes our conscious personality gets a little one-sided and we cling to these values or these attitudes or these plans but it's like there's another part of ourself and that other part doesn't have words this the same doesn't have access to language the same way that the conscious personality does but it's like knocking on the door hello over here you, you forgot about this and so then you might get a dream or you might just find that you know you're you're in a bad mood a lot or you just feel this incredible ache of envy when you see this friend doing something that you haven't dared to do, whatever it is. But those are all ways that the unconscious kind of tries to talk to us to correct the course. And those moments, uh, like Joseph was talking about, can really kind of hit us over the head in a way that is shocking and surprising of these realizations of, oh my God, is that what I've been doing all these years? And there is... Uh, such an enlarged sense of direction, adventure, and self, that although there may be some losses entailed, no one ever wishes that that kind of connection with themselves hadn't happened. No one ever wants to go back. Uh, We become fuller and have a sense of something really steady and constant inside that Jung called the inner companion or the treasure hard to attain. And years ago when I was reading Jung, I read those phrases and I had no idea what they meant, but I thought, oh, I want that. I want an inner companion. (laughs) Where do I get one of those? Well, it turns out that one way to get one of those is by undergoing your own analysis. And in my case, a lot of dream interpretation And, you know, then the training and supervision and so on to become an analyst. But it is there. You have me very curious about really, because I hear in your words, all of you saying someone undergoing an analysis instead of, you know, like we would say going to therapy or something. And so I'm just so curious, what is the process even like? I'm wondering how it relates to like psychoanalysis. That's a really great question. And it actually might not look so different from just going to therapy because Jungians usually see people generally once a week, you know, just like any other therapy. I mean, sometimes we work with people more often, just like anyone else might. But unlike a classical Freudian analysis, which is often for maybe even more times per week, it's usually you know, a 55-minute session once a week where someone sits on a couch and the other person sits on a chair across from them and they talk. So, in that sense, it might not look so different from a typical psychotherapy process. And certainly, some people come in, you know, for kind of shorter-term stuff. I mean, it's not all like uh, we're we're getting on the uh, ship that's going to sail around the world. Sometimes people just come in for, you know, four or five sessions and they they get something out of it and they move on. But I think when there's a really deep change process, it does feel like you are undergoing a kind of transformation. And again, it may look like you come to the office once a week for 55 minutes, but there's a 
there's a level of commitment to undergoing a depth process mm-hmm. that can just feel a little different. I think that people come into the consulting room with many different expectations. They might be particularly informed about Jung's work. They may not. So many of us that work as analysts, we often also work as clinical social workers and we provide psychotherapy in a way that would be familiar because that's what's being asked and that's what's required. If somebody comes in and there's a real clarity that they're looking for an analysis, that yes, we meet for you know an hour a week and it may go on for several years because it is a deep both unwinding process, a dissolving of old attitudes and a discovery of a new position. But there are also kind of very concrete considerations that we are looking for evidence of the unconscious and evidence of the emerging self in three different areas. We're looking for evidence of that in the dreams. Mm -hmm. We're looking for evidence of that in what we call the transference, which is the way in which our clients are reacting to us in the room. And also, we're looking for evidence of that in the way that the waking personality is adapting to its environment, how it's coping, and that the unconscious can be whispering or shouting, as it may be, information in any of those spheres, and that we're trying to create a relationship to it. When a relationship is formed, I think what's very important in Jung's work is that we are trying to facilitate an inclusion of that into the waking personality. Mm -hmm. Now, that's very different from the way a lot of modern uh, psychologists are thinking. So, for instance, you may come and say, gosh, I have a lot of anxiety. And someone who does perhaps cognitive behavioral therapy would want to give you some breathing exercises, relaxation exercises, perhaps something called thought replacement, where if a troubling thought comes in, you'll craft a new thought to program it into the mind as if it is functioning like a computer. And the waking personality may over time feel, oh, you know, I'm less anxious. And therefore, this is successful because the waking personality can continue driving the car forward feeling less disturbed. Mm -hmm. As an analyst, we might explore that anxiety and particularly the images that it evokes and at least consider that there is another part of of your personality which is demanding acknowledgement, demanding room in your life, and that it may be scary to acknowledge that, but that is a next step in becoming more of who you really are. Mm-hmm. It's That's a good um, explanation, Joseph. And I'm thinking back too, Laura, to what you said about the unconscious is in the room anyway. And uh, we want to pay attention to it, to welcome it, and sort of to hear what it has to say, rather than, you know, rerouting it or reprogramming it or, or just ignoring it, because it is there and it is a source of psychic energy. Well, well, regardless of what we do with it, it has its own energy. And how, how can we hook up to it? How can we create a channel of communication, as it were? So that's why we use dreams 
or images or fantasies so that we have access to it in a way that is not limited just to words. Yeah, and what you said about my statement that the unconscious is there anyway, it it makes me think, this is kind of rhetorical, but it's like, and how do you, you know, identify it and figure out what, what it wants you to know? And I think with that also makes me wonder in what all of you have said about meaning. And Joseph used the example of cognitive behavioral therapy, and I'm thinking about thinking and meaning. And I don't, I think you can think what meaning is, but that's not Mm -hmm. really what you, you all are going for in the work that you're doing. And also me, I don't want, I don't want to know what I think it is, what story Mm -hmm. I made up about what it is, but the message that my soul or my inner companion wants me to Mm -hmm. understand. Well, I think one one clue, uh, one way of addressing what you've said is it will come, like Joseph's example, with a lot of feeling of, oh my God, that's it. That's what it is. Uh, so our bodies are involved. Our emotions are involved. Cognition is involved as well. But we have a sense of understanding, of connecting, of something new that I now know in a fully felt way. The importance of that fully felt connection with ourselves is is the heart of it, I think. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. That that kind of profound emotional experience. And that there are very obvious positive results of that, for instance, mm-hmm. if if the anxiety is recognized as a demand to include something in the waking personality. And it's included, the anxiety can resolve, and it often does. Yes, uh, and then that energy can be available for life. Exactly. Rather than having yes. to manage anxiety. Mm-hmm. And these, these epiphanies, I think, are, you know, they, I think we've made them sound just really huge and life-changing, but they can come in all sizes and colors and shapes. You know, I know when I first went to a Jungian, during a dark part of my life, you know, she wanted to work with dreams. And I thought, well, okay, you know, at least one of us has a game plan. So <laughs> here we go. Um, and I bet we worked, I don't know for how many months, but some good chunk of months with me bringing in my dreams and I wrote them down. And then one day I had a dream and somewhere in the middle of talking about that dream, I was just still makes me teary. I was just overcome with feeling. So I got it that this was my dream. And there was something else alive in me that had been talking to me all these months, and I, but I hadn't felt it. So I felt a place of new life in, in me, a place of companioning. Something was happening in me that I didn't have to organize or manage myself. So, you know, that's a smaller epiphany than the example Joseph gave of of, uh, somebody who had been a nun, but it happens all along. And then just as Lisa said, that energy is available for waking life. And some of this is can show up in the conventional culture, for instance, something that might be widely known is 
Sometimes people feel very lifeless and depressed, and underneath that, they're just really angry. And that anger that is repressed can look like a depression. And sometimes after just a little bit of conversation as a therapist, you'll be like, you know, wow, you sound really pissed off <laughs> about this, this, and this. And then when the person can really just kind of punch the pillows and get themselves full of, full of piss and vinegar, that the whole life can move forward. So as Deb had said, sometimes it's just right below the surface and the revelation is very reasonable if somebody could just help us connect to it. This is so interesting. So interesting. <laughs> I wish we had a, like five more hours, but um, <laughs> in the time we do have, which is more like five minutes, um, <laughs> can you three tell... I'll give you a chance at the end to tell everyone where they can find you individually and together. But if someone who's listening or me wants to know how to get going with this, like, can you tell us where we would start and how that could look? I mean, obviously find your own Jungian analyst, but even that, I don't know that they're just all around. There are institutes, if you want to find an analyst, uh, there you can just Google C.G. Jung. Uh, there's an institute in, in New York, and there's Boston and the Interregional Society. So there are, I think, a lot of ways to find a Jungian analyst, given the internet these days. And then there's the process between you and you, whoever that person might be, of starting inside to be curious and to reach into yourself. How about starting with writing down your dreams? How about starting with a morning reverie where you just journal about anything and everything that you would like to put down on paper, you know, without trying to organize it as an essay? How about sitting outside under a tree on a nice day, just with yourself? All these are ways that you can spend some time with yourself that goes beneath ego, beneath your thinking sense of I. Thank you. Yeah, I like all of those suggestions, Deb, and on a slightly more kind of practical note, if you go to irsja.org, there is a button somewhere on that page that says something like find a Jungian analyst and it will list uh, analysts across the United States. I'd also like to put a shameless plug in for our <laughs> podcast, This Jungian Life, that what we are dedicated to doing is taking often rather complex Jungian ideas and making them relevant to the popular culture using idioms and ways of uh, relating to it that are accessible. And at the end of each of the podcasts, we analyze a dream. And one of our hopes is that people will get a sense of how to analyze their own dreams and different frames of thinking symbolically about the dreams rather than literally. Yeah. Altogether, I think what we would like I would like to invite people to do is to have an inner adventure. And that this is very, very possible from the, you know, practical uh, suggestion that Lisa made to listening to our podcast and connecting with yourself. It's all that, right there. 
And, and in, in line with what Deb is saying, I have to say that Jungian ideas have already seeded the popular culture. But many people are thinking like Jungians, although sadly, Jung is no longer attributed to the ideas. For instance, Jung invented the terms introversion and extroversion. I mean, he created that, and he created the concept of what that is. Any of you that have ever taken a Myers-Briggs test for, for a job or just for fun, that is exclusively based on Jung's observations and his research. Mm-hmm. Any of us, even kids, will use psychological language, you know, a mother complex, a father complex. That's all psychoanalytic language. Yeah. So Jung is moving through the culture and sadly is no longer being attributed to the contributions. And by the way, paying attention to dreams and even the idea that if you just type into Amazon, you know, dream symbolism book, I mean, this incredible population of ideas around this, well, this is psychoanalytic. This is, this is all born of Freud and Jung's ideas about the nature of symbols and the shape of the unconscious. So what the listeners might discover is once they begin to muck around a little bit in, in these ideas, that they may not be quite as alien or distant as yes. they could have thought originally. Yes. Another possibility for someone who is interested is to read Jung's autobiography, Memories, Dreams, Reflections. It's very readable, and it illustrates over and over and over again uh, Jung's relationship to his own inner life. So it, it really sort of models what, what can happen and the many ways in which that can work. And if you do want to hear us, you can visit our website. <laughs> This is not a shameless plug. You are more than invited (laughs) to please tell everyone where they can find your podcast. It's thisjungianlife.com. And Jungian is spelt (laughs) J-U-N-G-I-A-N because we toss that out like people uh, can spell that out. But there it is. I didn't know it was pronounced Jung until grad school. I thought it was Jung. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'm sure many people listening are like, oh, it's not junk? <laughs> oh, they're talking about junk? <laughs> now I get it. <laughs> well, can you tell us where we can find each of you individually as well? Because I'm guessing that if people are near you, they may want to find you yourselves for working with you if you're taking new clients or asking a question or things like that if you're open to it. If people go to our website, there is a page that talks about us individually. They can send an email right from the website. Mm-hmm. And then we've also linked our individual websites on the web page. So thisunionlife.com, that's a way for people to reach us as individuals. That's easy. Thank you. Well, Lisa, Deborah, and Joseph, thank you so much for being my guests on Therapy Chat today. This was a very clearly a fascinating conversation, deeply thought-provoking, and I've listened to your podcast and need to listen more so I can understand more, but um, I'm really grateful that you took the time to be with me today and our listeners. Thank you so much, Laura. Thank you for having us. Yes. Thanks so much for listening to my interview with Joseph Lee, Lisa Marciano, and Deborah Stewart of this Jungian Life podcast. I found it very thought-provoking and definitely 
went out and bought Carl Jung's book, Memories, Dreams, and Reflections, after talking with them. So very thought-provoking. As always, thanks so much for listening to Therapy Chat. Got more great stuff coming up for you over the next few weeks. So be sure to tune in next time. Until then, be well. Try Therapy Notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today. With live telephone support seven days a week, it's clear why Therapy Notes is rated 4.9 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot and has a 5-star rating on Google. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. And now for all you prescribers out there, Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. Try it today with no strings attached and see why everyone is switching to Therapy Notes, now featuring ePrescribe. You can get two months free by using promo code CHAT at therapynotes.com. Trauma Therapist Network is a website to learn about trauma and how it shows up in our lives and to find a trauma therapist. Go to traumatherapistnetwork.com to find a trauma therapist near you today. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Just another reminder that if you'd like to become a member of Therapy Chat, supporting the podcast while receiving fun member perks and being able to communicate with me one-on-one, go to patreon.com slash therapy chat. If every subscriber donated just $1 per month, Therapy Chat would be able to keep going strong indefinitely. Thanks so much for your support. Thank you for listening to Therapy Chat with your host, Laura Reagan, LCSWC. For more information, please visit therapychatpodcast.com.